Well, welcome in. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast, friends. This is a podcast run by Lifespan Services to illuminate the stories within Lifespan. We are a nonprofit for impact organization serving just over 1,500 individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities throughout North Carolina. Now, this October, we celebrated our 50th anniversary of existence. 50 years of firsts, 50 years of seeing people walk for the first time, talk for the first time, get on a swing for the first time. And we are just excited, excited to celebrate with you, our staff and our individuals throughout the rest of the year of a huge, huge milestone. Normally this podcast is hosted by the Kens, Ken Norton, myself, and Ken Fuque, our CEO. But unfortunately, Ken Fuque is out saving the world. And so all you have today is me. I am Lifespan's Director of Individual Philanthropy and my job is to build relationships with you in the hopes that we can inspire you to take action. Whether that be through financial resources, volunteering your time, or advocating on behalf of individuals with disabilities, we want you and hope that this podcast inspires you to do something. Today we have a special guest and someone who's been with us for 28 years. She has a story of longevity and she has seen lifespan change throughout the years. And so without further ado, enjoy our conversation with our very own Robin DeVore. All right, so introducing our guest today is the Robin DeVore. Robin DeVore is our Chief Compliance, Quality Assurance, and Security Officer, which is a mouthful. She has been at Lifespan for 28 years and has started all the way back then as an Enclave supervisor, which was basically Lifespan's first supported employment programs. I'm sure we'll get into all that, but uh, Robin, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Illuminated. Thank you for having me. What a joy to be able to do this in our 50th year. I know. We're celebrating 50 years of Lifespan uh, operating, which is really special for uh, a lot of us, specifically, I think for those of you that have been here and seen just decades of work, I've only been here for, I mean, it's not even been a year yet. So this is a different celebration for me. But for a lot of you, this is like a longevity, which I think is really, really special. And so we're kicking off the podcast and um, hearing stories about Lifespan and thought you would be a great individual to just kind of hear your story. So I'd love to start from the beginning. How in the world did you become an Enclave supervisor? What was your introduction to, I think at that time it was called St. Mark's. It was right? called St. Mark's Center, yes. Um, so, you know, a little history before I get to that part is, you know, I started being very, um, just very curious about individuals with uh, developmental disabilities in middle school. And so middle school and high school, I was a Special Olympics buddy through my schools in Texas and just you know, it's just one of those things, you know, right away, this is what I'm going to do. This is what my life is going to entail in some form or fashion. 
So fast forward a little bit, my family moved to North Carolina in 1983 and I was a senior in high school and I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to North Carolina. So I stayed in Texas, finished my high school career, but it was a deal I made with my parents to then come to North Carolina. Um, And I uh, regretfully made that promise, but now am so excited that I did that. (laughs) I can't even begin to tell you. Um, So moved to North Carolina in the summer of 84, Uh, went to Brevard Junior College when it was a junior college my first couple of years, Um, because anyone from North Carolina knows you don't go to any state school as an out-of-state student unless you're incredibly intelligent. And um, I like to say I'm smart, but I'm not incredibly intelligent. So went to Brevard Junior College, um, continued at that point to be a Special Olympics buddy to um, a little elementary school in Brevard. And then uh, transferred to Chapel Hill. So that's where I received my uh, bachelor's in psychology. And um, when I graduated, moved back to Charlotte, and my next door neighbor just happened to be Carla Dupuis, who at the time was a county commissioner. And she said, well, let me introduce you to Lee Derby, who is the founder and CEO of St. Mark's Center. So... Here I am today. I started in 1988. Uh, I did do um, our first supported employment. I was our enclave supervisor. And what that is, we don't, ha- we don't have those anymore. So it is taking a group of individuals that we supported. I think I had six. And we went to a, a company. We were actually at ESM, which is a manufacturing company here in Charlotte that no longer exists. And we worked side by side with the, the workers there at the factory. And it was such an incredible experience, Ken, because the people that worked there could not have welcomed these folks that we worked with any better. They were such, at that time, we didn't use the term natural support, but they were such a natural support to these individuals. Um, we, we were invited to their Christmas get togethers. They're all of their holiday get togethers. The individuals I took would eat lunch with them and totally leave me by myself, you know? So it was just, it was such a, it was eye opening, but it was also just such a great first experience into St. Mark's center. Uh, I left after a couple of years, I got married, moved to Atlanta and quickly came back a few years later uh, called Lee up and came right back, uh, to St. Mark's center. So I think I have had, you know, those of us who've been here this long, we talk about our HR file and I think my HR file is so big. No one would ever want to I think I've had a total of 10 plus job titles and I will, you know, that's who has made me what I am today in my job today, because when people think about compliance and quality assurance and technology, they think of, somebody who's just really like boring and cut and dry. And I like to think of myself as someone who is very empathetic and compassionate. And, and that is due to all of the things I experienced before I got into this role um, in 2003. So that's a little bit of how I started, how I got into it. It's all I've ever done. Uh, you know, my daughter has grown up. She's now 30. She grew up at Lifespan in St. Mark's. And uh, yeah, I do. I call it my second family. It's the most amazing second family anyone could ever have. Yeah, I'm sure being here for that long, it, it has to become your family for you to stay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of cool people, and you obviously have great relationships uh, here at Lifespan and uh, have been a great support even for me jumping on board. So I'm um, really appreciative of that. When you say St. Mark's back in the beginning, paint us a picture of what, like, what did that even look like? 
all was yeah. that 30, 30 some years ago at this point, almost tw- 29 years. What is, what was St. Mark's like? Um, then how many people were you serving? What do you even remember about what we were doing as an organization? So we were extremely small. Um, when I started in 1988, we were only in Mecklenburg County. We had a, um, we had one program, uh, that served, um, individuals with disabilities. And then we had a little office on Graham street that we all kind of huddled into. We did have a cup. We did have a couple of group homes or residential homes at that time. And I do remember, and actually Lee Derby and I still keep in touch to this day. And one of the comments I said to him is, I will never forget going to one of our first group homes on Windsor Drive in Myers Park and having to um, go up in front of the county officials to give a report in this big, long thing. And I remember looking at Lee going, you do know I just got out of college, right? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. So it was very small. It was very quaint, you know. As someone who got to come in and sit by side by side with the CEO and founder and learn how to do table graphs and learn how to use a computer all along learning what the vision he always had. He was an extremely visionary person. And that is why we we have moved to where we are today and we continue to grow because so many of us learned from him. But we were, uh, again, only in Mecklenburg County. I don't really know how many staff we had, um, but it wasn't many. We had the one program and a couple of homes. We may have served at the most 35, 40 people. Um, I personally worked with six, um, and then we just continued to grow. And in the late 1900s, early 2000s is when we really started looking at um, acquiring other areas, such as Greensboro, um, you know, Troutman, those kind of things. So it was a a nice long little hall to be able to be in a very small environment. But I also feel like that was extremely helpful for me because I really got to learn the business. I got to learn the people. Um, I got to learn the other peers that we had in other organizations and work very closely with the county, uh, which has proven to be very beneficial for us 39 years later because some of those folks are still there and they know lifespan really well. Uh, so, so yes, very small, but very mighty. <laughs> I'm sure you have to be a little scrappy, I think, in the beginning of any organization to kind of build it to what it is. Um, you said you guys were at Graham Street. Is that the same Graham Street that we have, or is that a different, that, it, that, that came in later? That came in later. We had a little office space, um, and then uh, Graham Street came in and Graham Street, which we now have as Center City, which is a day program, used to be a, a daycare center. It used to be an in-school daycare center for children with disabilities and without. And, um, you know, it just became very difficult later on in the years to compete with the Bank of Americas and, and Wachovia's that had daycare centers for their staff. So that that's when we switched over to the day program and combined a couple of other areas into that into that center city location on Graham street. We were running as a small seniors program in the bottom of a church. You know, we, we, we will go wherever people will give us space, Ken. <laughs> yeah. 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 I guess that's what you have to do, right? You just, you find Absolutely. space, you put it together and then you build programs from where it's at. So you were the enclave supervisor. How long, how long did you do that? And then what were kind of the, what's the in-between stage between where you're at now and. So I was an supervisor for almost two years um, and then moved to Atlanta. 
Um, when I was in Atlanta, actually, I was a teacher, a special education teacher at Osborne High School um, and enjoyed my time there, but also did not enjoy the political world of being a teacher, especially for special education. And having come from an environment that I shared with you at ESM that was so nurturing, was so wonderful to go to a school system where you're stuck in a back classroom and people look at your students as, why are you here? It was depressing. It was, it was such the opposite of what I had learned when I was at St. Mark's. Uh, so, you know, was there for a few years and then came back. When I came back and started back with um, St. Mark's, I was a program coordinator at our old corporate location on Clanton Road and uh, worked my way up to oversee that at the time we called it a sheltered workshop, but oversaw that whole program at Clanton Road. And then um, had various jobs there from program coordinator to qualified professional to director, then went into uh, compliance, quality assurance, and now technology has been added to that. So uh, we'll just keep adding to that title and make it as long as we possibly could. And I don't think I can fit anything else on that part anymore. (laughs) Oh my. Okay. Um, So going back to kind of what you said of your time in Atlanta and, and just how you felt like you, I don't know, maybe the individuals there weren't supported as much or that whole environment. Um, Tell us more about the political side of this. You brought it up a few times. I don't want to, I wanted to kind of get your story a little bit of what you're at. Cause I think this is a big conversation, but what, what is in this world of, in your perspective of just the political side of individuals with disabilities and what we as lifespan do to maybe combat that, or at least help it give us frame that whole picture and whole world, which I know is probably a huge conversation of sure. government systems, <laughs> how we get care, Medicaid, like all these things. I don't know how we, enter into this conversation. It's large, but. Well, why don't we start a little bit back? Because even though it's always been somewhat of a struggle, um, because what we do is not recognized and noticed a lot. It's one of those that's even tucked up lower than education, unfortunately. And I think it's, in my opinion, it's because we are not curing people. We are not curing people of a disease. We're not curing people of something that they have. Most of our individuals, if not all of them, were born with a disability. So we're here to encourage them and help them be as independent as they are, right? We're not here to fix them. So I think a lot of times that goes unnoticed. And I think it's because of a lack of education. But early on, when I first started, it wasn't as difficult Um, because the money was there more so for counties and states, whereas that money has dwindled as we go into the future more and more. So you're really relying more on Medicaid. You're not relying on county funds or state funds. uh, And and it's much harder to get those and sustain those because they are not getting the money to give you. Mm, So it kind of went for this process because I'm learning all this too. So in the beginning, it was more state, it was localized funding, which like you said, if you had relationships with people, then you could almost promote lifespan or, um, you know, you'd have like, hey, we have a need, you have a person to talk to. Now it shifted more to Medicaid, government, big, harder to get in contact with people. I mean, I don't even know. Yeah. I can't imagine the, the wait line of if you have yeah. a problem, like who do you even call, <laughs> you know? It's um, It's very hard to 
to manipulate and maneuver. However, that is what is nice. So many of us, especially those of us that are on the executive team, we've grown up through that system and we we are advocates. We we do things on the state level. We sit on committees for the state level. So it does help for people to know who you are. It helps to know your local senators, your your local Congress pe- folks. You know, because those are the people who you are inviting to your programs, to your organizations, to really get to know you. And it has it has really helped us. Um, you know, we have a strong COO too that goes out and is an advocate. Um, knows those folks in Raleigh. So it's really, it to me, you know, obviously you got to play the game and it's a tough one. It is not a day goes by that we don't end the day saying, are you kidding me? Something else has changed. However, it's a game that we're willing to play because we have such a great story to tell and people love who we are when they get to know us. So we are doing well. We have a lot of changes coming up with Medicaid expansion, the possibility of tailored plans, which is a whole nother thing. I went um, to a parent meeting and <laughs> honestly, I don't even know it. Like I went to a parent meeting in Greensboro. We have a, a creative center out there um, just to meet some of the parents and Christopher, which you yeah. mentioned our CEO, COO, uh, who we also have a podcast episode. So check out his story. He talks a lot about uh, his experience as well. It's like a different language. I sat there and I was like, what are we talking about? There's all of these providers and it just seems very confusing. And from the parent's perspective, um, they're obviously confused. Like the system is not built for them to, like you have to stay on top of it or you'll get lost in the weeds. And like you said, things change so often that it just, it becomes a nightmare. So lifespan, at least because we play in this world so often, we can provide that resource or that knowledge um, to parents and, and people trying to get on um, care. Because I isn't care like take like ten years or something? I don't. I like there's a a long list uh, within Medicaid specifically that you have to be on a wait list. Yep. And and it's just I mean ten years is unbelievable. But that's. Um- and that is the low end of the totem pole for for the um, wait list for Medicaid for for waiver services. Uh, some people have been on it fifteen plus years, and they they started when they were in grade school, you know. And and that's where I think to the relationships and the longevity of our ambassadors in our programs is so beneficial too, because like you said, these poor parents. I can't even imagine what goes through their head because if we're confused, I know they are confused. So the longevity and the relationships that our individual programs and our ambassadors there have made with those families, those families trust what what we're saying to them. And parent meetings like you went to are a great way to start to educate, to have them come in and talk to them, send letters, you know, um, anything we can do to help them. Because at the end of the day, they're the ones as parents and guardians getting the letters saying, hey, you have this new opportunity with Medicaid and we're going to give you new watches and new Nike shoes. So come over here. And thankfully they come to us and say, is this really true? And we're like, no, 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 no. You want to stay where you are or you're going to lose your funding and then you're really going to be in trouble. So I think that that the longevity of our ambassadors is a huge benefit as well throughout the state of North Carolina. Yeah. And ambassadors is the term that we call uh, staff Yes, um, We and supporters, really. I mean, anyone that's kind of 
I've used that term for like a donor, they're an ambassador, they're someone who's volunteering or advocating for us. But um, yeah, it's mostly staff. So just yeah. in case you want to know, what's an ambassador? Yeah, um, yeah. We really have to be an ambassador for the government, like yeah. messengers, because we're trying to figure out all this funding conversation, which is a long one. And parents on top of that have to still care for their child at the time yeah. or their young adult or their um, their kiddo is now older. So it's just, it's complexity on top of complexity. So it's really encouraging to hear awesome people like you at Lifespan and the rest of our ambassadors who are out there advocating. And if you are listening and uh, need that as assistance, um, we'd be obviously willing to help. Or if you know of somebody, um, we're always in the business of trying to get relationships so we can have those conversations like with you said, uh, people that are decision makers because we want to advocate for our individuals. Kind of moving forward in that. So we're you're the chief compliance, security, quality assurance. What does that exactly mean for um, Lifespan? It means I have a group um, of four ladies, incredible ladies who work with me in quality assurance. Uh, I think uh, they have been Three of them have been here between 10 and 19 years with me. And one is new. She's been here a little over a year and a half. And she it feels like she's been here for 10 years. <clears throat> this team and what I oversee with them is we write all the policies and procedures for the organization when it comes to the individuals we serve, anything regulatory. We're kind of that second and third set of eyes that keeps lifespan out of trouble when it comes to any type of possible Medicaid fraud, any type of possible issues from an investigation. So this team really controls all of that quality assurance of what lifespan does, as well as quality improvement, uh, you know, in regards to making sure we have updated revised policies and procedures. So that's the quality assurance side of things that I know I just made it very simple and sweet, but it's it's very uh it can be very stressful many days, especially if you have several investigations going on, you have audits going on typically on any given year, not really during COVID, but before and after, we have an average of 140 plus uh audits throughout the year. Uh, throughout all of our locations, as well as we hold a national accreditation with CARF International, and so that that happens every three years. So it's a it's, explain more it, about CARF, just sure. what that is, and sure, because I know it's a big thing that you're that you steward. Yeah, sure. So all organizations like Lifespan who receive funding, especially through vocational rehabilitation or managed care organizations, which is all wrapped around. Medicaid money and vocational rehabilitation money, you have to be accredited nationally through one or two, uh, one of the organizations that's out there. Lifespan back in 2003 chose to go with CARF, which is the Commission Association of Rehabilitation Facilities. And we went with that one because it's, while it has some data driven to it, it's, it's, all about the services you provide, being the best you can be. And in fact, what the the new part of CARF became was aspire to excellence. And Lifespan has adopted that. That is in the beginning of our strategic plan, we're really big on to aspire to excellence. And they, they go through, they turn up everything. They go through everything from what your ambassadors do with your individuals in, in taking data, where they take them in the community, what they do during the day, to going through all your finances, through all your human resources, through all your leadership. So it is a very, um, 
it's a strenuous process, but it's probably one of the greatest processes we could go through because two reasons. A, it's very uh, peer-to-peer, consultative, and there's no like, I gotcha. You've got to pay back. You are going to be in trouble. It's more of a learning experience for us. Uh, and to to be uh, CARF accredited means that you can they can recommend and you can have surveyors um, in your own organization. So uh, I had been asked a couple of times and just, you know, growing up, having a child, you, you can't travel like that. But about three years ago, four years ago, Lifespan allowed me to become a CARF surveyor. And it has benefited the organization because we get to learn from other states. Um, and it's, it's just really interesting to go to states who either are a little bit further along than North Carolina or way behind North Carolina. And you get that good feel of, you know, okay, we're not at the low end of the totem pole. And I always come back and say, we are doing a phenomenal job. We are doing a great job, you know, to be able to teach these other organizations things that we do. So that that is all about the national accreditation. And that is something that that I, I do spearhead, but lifespan and all the departments and all the ambassadors, everybody's involved in that every three years. So you mentioned that they, this idea of Aspire Excellence, um, what does excellent, like, what does that look like? I think it's tangible for maybe um, other businesses where it's like, okay, we, we sold X amount of product or we, we create this product that is excellent in the community. What does that look like? for lifespan from your perspective, how do, how do, how would you describe to someone listening? Like, well, how would you, what's the metrics behind that? Well, if you're asking me specifically about my department, excellence means 99% or higher on all audits and no paybacks. If you look at and that is, that is in our strategic plan, Ken. So if you look at our strategic plan, each department really has that strive to excellence. You know, human resources has that strive to become the employer of choice. And this is how we're going to do it. And it lays it out in our strategic plan. You know, operations has, we want to acquire more homes. We want to acquire more locations. And to me, excellence is taking what you do now and in improving on that because nobody's perfect. And at the end of the day, you want to strive for that excellence. You want to strive for what you feel is a little bit better than what you're already doing. And we're always looking to how can we help the individuals? Because it is all about the individuals. If we don't have, we don't have a job and there's no need for us to be here. So yeah, tell me more about that when it like excellent. Cause I think it's, I think it's what people are probably wondering is like, well, what does that mean for the individual? Like, like how, how do, how do we provide excellent service for that individual? Is it right. just that they're meeting goals? Is it the fact that they're, you know, they're getting a job? What the, do, does your team do that from the standpoint of like when an audit comes around, are they looking just at Medicaid stuff or are they looking at like, Hey, how do you provide service for the individual? Yeah. And if so, what is the excellent bar? Like, Okay, so for for audits, they're really looking at right now. They look at the paper, pen and paper, in our case, electronic healthcare records. You know, is the data in the billing matching with what you submitted and what you got paid? Very cut and dry. However, the state of North Carolina is moving to outcome-based contracts, which is more of what you're talking about. You know, we're giving you money. You need to prove to us, are you benefiting the money that we give you to serve those individuals? And that looks different 
for different individuals. So for example, in residential, excellence to me is that they feel like that is their home. That is their home. They are doing household duties if they can. They are part of their community. They have meaningful day. They're not just sitting in a chair watching TV all day. Because unfortunately, those individuals who are still on waiting lists that we talked about, that's their life pretty much. They don't have people who are introducing them to community partnerships or helping them get a job. So excellence it looks different. And, you know, we, we started a couple of years ago by saying we're the organization that provides first for people. So excellence in this case could be we get an individual that is living in a residential home and we, we tell the parents, you know, we really want to run a goal with them so they learn how to, you know, empty the trash. Something you and I do every day. And the parent says, they can't do that. They've never done that. You know what? That's, that is excellence when we get to that point. And that is independence. And that just shows that, yes, they can do this. Don't ever doubt somebody's abilities to do something because they've got abilities in there somewhere. And we really found that out when we started doing um, art. You know, years ago, gosh, years ago, it was at Clanton Road when I was the director. We gave some an individual who really just severe, severe outbursts, severe behaviors, gave her a paintbrush. Holy moly. Amazing. Amazing. She, her, her whole demeanor, her whole personality changed because that was her way of expressing. To me, that is excellence. We just gave that person the chance to do what they really didn't even probably know they had in themselves. Yeah, I can't stress that enough for listeners and for people wanting to know what we do. Um, it's that. And yeah. it could be as simple as maybe learning how to take the trash out. But like you said, we want to be, in, we're an organization of firsts and that depends on the person, but we want people to continue to grow in that because circling all, all the way back around to what you initially said is sometimes we, we believe that our people are maybe looked over because we're not fixing um, something that can be like a, like a cure in your words. But really it's like, this is a lifelong pursuit, hence yeah. the name lifespan. Like this is... This is a long, slow, methodical, um, hopefully quicker in some seasons, um, <laughs> but it's like, this is a slow process and that's life. Yeah. But um, to, to do that for our individuals and to, and to see that and to watch people celebrate when things like that happen, cannot stress to you enough that that is what Lifespan is doing every single day across yeah. serving 1,500 individuals. Every single one of those people, we have goals that they are trying to meet and grow to be better human beings, just like we as human beings are trying to grow and be better ourselves. We're offering the same opportunity. And that's what I see about Lifespan. We have provided opportunity for people that otherwise just wouldn't. Absolutely. They, they'd be you overlooked. Know, we, don't, we don't like the word no, or they can't. We want to prove those people wrong. And I would say that the majority of the time we do, you know, there's those that just, you know, <laughs> you're not going to do it, but uh, I, I'm all about proving people wrong. And I will show you that there is some ability in every single person. I don't care if it's tying their shoe, if there is something there. Uh, so yeah, I'm all about it. <laughs> What's been some more of those favorite stories that, that you've seen? You mentioned the one, um, I don't, I don't think you said a name, but the, the woman who was with the art, um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Any other stories that you have just in your 28 years um, that come yeah, top of mind? 
you know, there's, um, I, I'll never forget, we had a group of um, individuals when we were at Clanton Road in the quote unquote sheltered workshop. And it was interesting because they, they would just like be singing throughout the day. You know, they didn't even have to hear music. They were just singing. So we put together a choir and we had a volunteer. It was actually a parent of one of our individuals in one of our group homes. And she would come in and she would hold choir practice with these guys uh, and ladies. And one year they performed at one of our annual luncheons that we used to have. And it was amazing to see the smiles on these these individuals faces as they sang were they in tune my gosh no but were they having a good time and they were so awesome so i love that story just because they were dressed up they were up there they had an audience you would have thought they were on the voice you know they were just like wow let's go what well, no. we should bring that back because i think that yeah. would be uh I mean, I have a terrible voice, so I would be right there with them. Well, you, and just... Yeah, you could lead them, Ken. You know, well, <laughs> you have to have a voice. You know, um, so it's it's those, it's the stories you hear. Some of the the touching stories that you know we really talk about a lot are children that go into our early learning center who've never been able to walk, who've never been able to speak, and we have such incredible teachers and teacher assistants who. You know, after the first year, after the second year, you have children who can walk, take their very first steps, talk for the first time. And those are the stories that are so heartwarming because otherwise those kids would not have a chance. And I say that because the school, a lot of school systems, and I know this, a lot of school systems don't want to take the time. You know, these, these kids may have an ISP, which is a, you know, a specific plan, a support plan that they're working on in, in a public school, but the public school doesn't have what we, what we have. They, they don't. And, and so it's so, it's so wonderful to have a place like Lifespan that children can go to, that parents can go to work. They don't have to worry about their kids. So those stories are always heartwarming to me, you know, the the, the kids uh, that we serve. Yeah, that uh, reminds me, we did a, a video recently, if you want to go on our YouTube channel, which I think I can put a description uh, below or in the link. We did a story on Michelle and Bella, and they have a similar story in that literally she had spina bifida, learning how to walk. And so she, it's like a minute and a half, go check it out. You'll hear a real life story um, just with them of uh, their experience here at Lifespan. And that's exactly what it reminded me of when you yeah. were saying that it's like to hear mom talk about how she can go back to work, yeah, um, how she can provide for the family uh, and how her daughter was just getting the care that she needed. And now she just is she's a rock star. I mean, the, the video and hanging out with Bella was, was super yeah. fun because she just is all over yeah. the place and, uh, is one of the most caring people I've ever met. So just really cool story. And, um, that's what we want to do in the podcast. We want to share all of these stories. We want to get into the nitty gritty of, of what we're doing every single day, because we want more people to have eyes and ears of what lifespan is doing because we need resources. We need connectors. We need people to put on a, uh, a, a choir, if that's their gifting, um, and really get involved with our individuals because we want to see them grow and, and um, yeah, be better. I think one of the biggest things I would say to anyone listening to this podcast, if, if you've never, you know, experienced being around someone with a developmental disability or an intellectual disability, you know, or you've had a fear of it, you know, because I do think there is fear out there in this world um, when you see somebody, especially with a physical handicap, uh, you know, 
um, handicap is come call us, you know, for me, although I'm not in the day to day anymore, there are days where I will go to a program just so I can remember why I'm here, just so I can remember those days I would go home with six funny stories and just laugh for the rest of the night. Um, but once you experience, you'll get hooked. It's, it is, um, it's very contagious. It's, uh, it's a, it's, it's one of those. And, and I'm going to steal a phrase that, you know, a couple of our ambassadors and officers use is you don't feel like you're at work. Now there are days, don't get me wrong. When you're dealing with the state and Medicaid, you do feel like you're at work, no, but that's work. there's days, you know, <laughs> just, you know, I went to one of our 50th anniversary events in Dobson in Greensboro and, you know, to watch Greensboro playing family feud with all the, it was just amazing to watch these, these individuals have such a great time. So I would encourage anyone listening to the podcast who has just an inkling of curiosity about what we do, call us. We would love to introduce you to what Ken and I are talking about that is it's just so wonderful to be a part of. Yeah, they are contagious. That's a good word. And they can somehow break down barriers in your own heart um, yeah. that open yourself up to just real life. And I think we as a culture need that a little bit more. And um, our individuals don't mean to do that, but they certainly provide just a new perspective uh, mm -hmm. for a day. And I do the same thing as you. There's days where I'm like, I just need to go to Graham Street and yes. hang out and uh, get around Archie and uh, yeah. or Aaron, you know, and just and just be with them. There's something about it that is just so, yeah, um, yeah it's yeah. just encouraging. So if you want to know, go on our website, lifespanservices.org. There are plenty of ways to get in contact with us. At the end of this podcast, we have a little thing too. Um, jump on the website, let us know. We will we will love for you to volunteer, love for you to be a part of it, or just see it. We do tours. We do. I'll get you a coffee, and you can walk around with us, and we can just meet some individuals. It'd be great. And and plan on a while because Ken and I met a couple of people what two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Yeah. I thought. A thirty-minute tour. I think it turned into a three-hour trip, like uh, Gilligan's Island. But uh, <laughs> I, I, we could do it underneath an hour. Day. We are getting practice on that. If you, you know, if you're busy, yeah. but I hear exactly. you exactly. Exactly. So it's fun. It's fun when you get around people and um, like Veronica down there, who just does an awesome tour and explains everything about it. There's just it's cool to just listen. Um, and uh, yeah, so. We appreciate you being on here. We're already at 36 minutes, so we're we're flying through this. It goes by in an instant. Um, any final thoughts from you, Robin? And then also, what does the next 50 years you think look like? Since we are celebrating 50, you talked about a lot of vision. You've been here a while. What's the what's the future? Well, I would like to say I would be here to celebrate the hundredth, but I doubt that will happen. So uh you know, I, I see that Lifespan will continue to do amazing things. We'll continue to ride out the storm with the state of North Carolina and anything that comes comes our way. I do think that we are very innovative, so we will always find those things to do. You know, we'll always keep our core of what we do, but we'll always find those those new um innovative things that we can continue to do to move lifespan into another 50 years. So for me, the future is, is bright. It's great. Um, I have no doubt we will leave it all in good hands when we all leave. And, uh, you know, I just hope that the rest of my career here is as good as the first 28 years. And I know it will be. Yeah. We're appreciative. Thank you for, um, all that you do, even though you've been here way longer than me and, 
Um, but it's just, it's been really cool to talk with you. It's cool to hear your story and just all the good work um, that your team does to make sure that uh, we're doing things in a healthy and sustainable practice because we want lifespan to continue on for the next 50 and you're, you're a big, big part of that to make sure that we are sustainable and that we can actually make it another 50 years. Um, so thank you for all your work. Thank you for your team. Thank you for joining us. And uh, our hope here is to continue to illuminate the stories of lifespan. So for those of you listening, we hope you continue to join us and hear these stories. Like we said, and we'll reiterate, if you want to be a part of what we're doing here, please let us know. Uh, we'd love to get you connected to Lifespan. And uh, Robin, happy uh, happy 50th to Lifespan and happy 29 years here at Lifespan for you. You're a big part of what we're doing here. So, Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. Cool. We appreciate it. All right. Bye. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Illuminated. Lifespan Services is a nonprofit for impact organization based in Charlotte, North Carolina. We exist to illuminate the abilities of children and adults with disabilities by providing education, employment, and enriching opportunities to live, work, and play in their communities. We are actively seeking partners to join us in this mission to ensure every individual with IDD receive the resources they need to flourish. If you want to make an immediate impact right now, you can give financial on our website at lifespanservices.org. There you will also find opportunities to volunteer with us, or you can even join our team and work alongside individuals every single day. Thank you for listening. And more importantly, thank you for being a part of this with us.